Welcome and happy Friday. We are, reminder, recording this on Tuesday, so if crazy stuff happens between Tuesday and Friday and you don't hear it on this podcast, that's why. That's a new thing for us still. This is Travelog, of course, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. My name is Brad Rickman, and I'm here with Laura Redman, who's our Deputy Digital Director, Catherine Legrave, who's our Senior Editor, and Mark Elwood, who's a uh, contributing editor for us and a podcast producer. We got Brett on the boards. It's a full crew. Everybody's a vet. Everybody's back. Home team. Topic of the week is Air Rage. So we need to fill the room with love to counteract the, the topic that we have here. Mark, this was a topic you kind of brought up because of a recent incident that is indicative. Why don't you talk about that recent incident? Did you get into a brawl? Do you know, the thing is, I'm not afraid of confrontation, but I've never, ever had a bout of air rage and because I, I don't feel it's going to get me what I want, and I'm right in that. I think this air rage incident summed up, in short, it was a battle over an armrest between two British travellers, which ended with them both on their feet in the middle of a flight, screaming at each other, I'm a lawyer! No, I'm a lawyer! No, I'm a lawyer! <laughs> which to me sounds like a sort of Star Jones SNL skit where you're just thinking, and, and how did this get to this? Doesn't everyone just want to get to Malaga? And it, it reminded me that recently we've been reading, we may chuckle about it, but we've been reading, it seems, so much more about contentious disagreements in the air and fisticuffs and and Ivanka Trump being shamed by going down on JetBlue and someone tweets about it and has a fight with her on the plane and is taken off. And Wait, all you're this. moving too quickly because some of these are really juicy. Uh, tensions think, are high. Yeah, in general, like right? like like you're you're, you're <laughs> give me the armrest. Um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> let's talk about a couple of these. So the one you described was a couple of guys on a flight to Malaga. They were British guys. Apparently, they were lawyers, and this is very important to them. <laughs> and they got into a fight over the armrest. We've had a couple of other ones that we've covered in recent weeks. Some of these have been politically charged in both directions. There was a guy who was thrown off of a... I forget the airline. I don't know if it matters. Doesn't Does it matter? matter? But Doesn't like, matter. It, and it's also been like every political party. It's like there are people who are saying something that riles up Trump supporters. And then there's someone who said something that riled up a Clinton supporter. And then, I don't know. I didn't know Brits could get into fights, Mark. <laughs> like the, how high are tensions right now? Like what is it? Is it a moment? I think it's disinhibition. You know, the thing that defines Brits or one of the many things that defines Brits, other than a love of Marmite and the Queen, is that, you know, everything is so repressed. But you put people at 30,000 feet, give them three vodka tonics, uh, you know, and a funny movie, and they, they start losing that outer shell of inhibitions. And even the Brits can get into spats. <laughs> well, Catherine, didn't you write at one point about, you know, um, rage over overhead bins and how there's something in your limbic system? Like there's a, a reason why you're getting into a fight. Yeah, so less space, you know, a la carte menu tensions are at an all-time high right we have most of us have a lot less space than we used to have the golden age of flying is long gone so people are feeling cramped you get sort of territorial and i think the armrest is one of those spaces overhead bin armrest you're moving into my space or what i think is my space you know and that's where the tensions sort of flare up in these contested spaces 
And I would also add one. I think one of the reasons, one of the theories we could talk about air rage popping up in America, which it does seem to do a little bit more. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the Brits. Americans notoriously have some of the largest personal spaces of people in the developed world. There was a very famous study in the 70s, which videotaped American businessmen and Japanese businessmen in a meeting in a room. And they sped up the meeting. They sped up the footage. And essentially, the Japanese man chased the American round the room because every time the Japanese man moved close as was his norm for his personal space the american backed away (laughs) the japanese man moved forward so i think americans especially some parts of america which are less well populated still have the largest personal space of the developed world so you can see why it would crop up stateside it's interesting to me because everything kind of gets intensified in the air and this is physiological not just it's psychological but it's also physiological things taste more intensely And then a story that you did for us last year, Mark, was exploring how romantic feelings, if we can call them that, actually get intensified in part because of the same, you know, sort of lack of space. It increases the production of oxytocin, which is the togetherness hormone. And that same lack of space can also lead to a territoriality, a sense of um, claustrophobia, which then induces panic, which intensifies that territoriality. And I think... There are probably factors out in the world, factors in people's lives that then push it in one direction or another or may tend to push it in one direction or another, you know, at the macro and at the micro kind of like personal level. But it seems to me that we've seen spikes in recent times after big political events. Specifically, Lulit reported on a spike in air rage on British airways after the Brexit vote. And then we've seen a couple of incidents recently that we can talk about that were highly politicized on both sides of the spectrum amongst uh, U.S. airlines in the months since the election. Maybe it's worth talking about those a little bit. So some of these were kind of intense. Sure. With Brexit, um, the article did talk a little bit about the influence of alcohol, especially how it's available at different British airports and, you know, the kind of culture of getting a, a few drinks before you get on the plane. And it's fascinating, too, because these incidents do happen immediately after the political event. Like two days after the election, we were reading about, let's see, I think it was a United pilot who had to ban political speech on his plane. Right. There were different passengers getting into kind of a heated discussion, and one flyer alleged that the other said something racist to an African-American seatmate, and someone got upset. There was crying. It got posted on YouTube. And... um, the YouTuber was calling it a scuffle, and then the pilot actually had to get on the intercom and say, I understand everybody has their opinions. This is actually what he said. Nobody is going to change their minds by arguing, so let's keep our opinions to ourselves on this particular matter, this particular time. When cooler heads prevail, we can talk and realize we're all human beings, and we can all stick together, and we can all pull for this country in our own way. And then on top of that, he said that anybody who disobeyed his request would be kicked off the plane. So can he do that? Can she do that? Can the pilots, do they have jurisdiction? I I think, and this is, I've talked about this on a podcast before. I did watch with great glee when a hissy fitting young British woman who is essentially trying to complain her way into an upgrade got so hissy fitty after a delay that she swore at a flight attendant. And the flight attendant, who had been really, had had the patience of Job or Jobette, as it was a woman, <laughs> um, went into the cabin. We were still on the runway at JFK. And the next thing, the pilot was out and he said, 
to this woman who everyone on the plane was just like, you're a pain in the neck. He said, get off my plane. Just get off my plane. And the woman was like, I'll sue Delta. And he said, you are welcome to try. Here is my card. Here is my name. This plane is my jurisdiction. No one speaks to my staff that way. Do you want to get your own bags or should I go and get them for you now? Because you're leaving this plane in the next minute. So it's well worth remembering that unlike on the ground where you can claim First Amendment rights or whatever, a plane is a very, very different beast. And your rights are far fewer than you might suspect. You don't have them. You don't have free speech rights, right, in the air. Right. You know, people like to claim this free speech thing. And we need to remember that that's a privilege of the U.S. government, right? And Mark, you and I were talking about this a little before. You need to understand that an airline company is a private, separate thing, right? And so we have a piece on this. Barbara Peterson did a piece for us. Can airlines restrict free speech? And it's kind of what Mark said. It's really up to the captain. They are like a captain of the ship, completely responsible for what happens on the plane. And if they cross a line, which is not clearly defined, it's really up to the airlines. They can decide to kick you off. But it's like any any other private entity, right? Like a bar can kick you out if you get unruly and exactly. it's up to them to decide. And if they kick you out to the street, you have no right to be inside there. It's a great reminder of if you are listening to this podcast, trying to tamp down your air rage. Remember, there is more of a risk than just offending people around you or being someone that people give a dirty stare to. The pilot, if you have someone in a bad mood, could notify the authorities when you land and say you were a danger to the aircraft. There are all sorts of penalties that it could lead to, which you will have very little recompense against. So it really is worth remembering, how much do you want to scream at your seatmate for the elbow rest at risk of getting a pilot on a bad day who decides to make an example of you? I have a question about that, Mark, that you may or may not be able to answer, not (laughs) not being a lawyer, apparently. Um, (laughs) But where's the jurisdiction lie in a situation like that? Like if you were to face some kind of process or charges or whatever, would that happen in the country of origin, the country of destination? Or if the incident took place in the airspace of a country in between, would it be in that particular jurisdiction? From what I understand about most aviation rules, and I'd love to know if there are any pilots who listen to Travelog regularly who've probably been schooled in this more detailedly than I have. But I know in terms of, for example, if you have deaths on a plane, you are required to land at the nearest airport after the death is declared. But of course, that makes you late. So everyone who dies on a plane always dies five minutes before landing as declared dead five minutes before landing so that aviation law is abided by. And I suspect that in order to keep things clean, they would probably make sure that it is handled by the jurisdiction at either end rather than sort of landing in Morocco and saying, what does Moroccan law say? But I'd love to know if there are pilots or flight attendants listening who've gone through this. And please, I'm sure we do have some flight attendants listening who have first-hand stories of this. I'd love to know if there is a real sort of rigmarole around that. I think it is typically the federal government's jurisdiction. Like like we were saying about maritime law, too, it's a larger governing body, right, from where you departed from. Although it's each airline's discretion as to how they roll out rules and regulations. And there's also, like in the case of the U.S., there's the Flight Attendants Union, and they have their own set of kind of standards that they train their flight attendants under. So it may come down to the pilot and what the pilot tells his crew to do. It may come down to recent regs that the union has set. 
it may come down to you know where you land like mark said and if it looks like it's going to be a criminal case if there's like an injury if there's a, a real fight they're probably going to bring in the local authorities in that scenario with the oceans, with, with ships, you have the concept of international waters, and there are agreed-upon standards for how th- incidents are handled and for what the laws of the seas are and things like that. And I'm wondering, it doesn't seem like we have quite the same thing. We have something similar, but not quite the same thing in the skies. There's the Montreal Convention, Ooh, which is, wow. was passed that? in 1990. Oh I, no, I remember it because... That's it. We're done. No. <laughs> we're, that's it. <laughs> No, it's an agreement for these air travel standards between member states that have signed it. And I remember it because we talked about turbulence in the skies. So like what if someone gets injured flying from the U.S. to Germany? It's actually better to get injured in the sky because the Montreal Convention's conditions are more favorable than like the U.S.'s own. I witnessed a bout of air rage as we boarded yesterday. I'm in Bogota at the moment. I was on my flight to Bogota from Atlanta. And I witnessed a passenger who boarded towards the end with a giant rollerboard bag that was not going to go in the overhead bins. And passengers had already been told, do not board with rollerboards. We're gate checking them. So for free, you know. And we had quite a forthright head of cabin crew. She wasn't particularly charming, but she was, you know, in charge. (laughs) And she told him, check your bag. And he said, no, make me. And she said, well, you have to check your bag. He said, it'll fit under the seat. And no, it won't. And they had a sort of, it was like watching mommy and daddy fight at the school gates. You're like, please don't do that. And then she said, I will call the policeman standing on the jetway. And he said, that's not a policeman. It's just a TSA agent. If he wants me to get off, you can get him to make me get off. So the gate, the TSA agent came on. And next thing we knew, the TSA agent, a agent had left and the man had put his bag where he'd always wanted to. And I thought it was very sad because effectively flight attendants are there for our safety. That really is the backstop of it. And she said, it's not safe. It will block the other people walking past your seat because it's too big. But the man got his way. However, that entire flight, the entire cabin crew was getting out their little digital controllers marking his seat and watching him and gossiping about him and covering their mouths when they thought people were hearing. That man, I don't know what he got in his sandwich, but it wasn't just mayonnaise. Oh, like that. Penalties. Penalties that are not necessarily of the legal variety. Well, yeah, you could get banned for life from an airline. There was the... um, Trump supporter. Yes, the Trump supporter who went on a a pro-Trump rant and started asking if there were a lot of Hillary bitches on board. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that happened. And then uh, someone captured it on YouTube. Remember, people, like, we all have cell phones now. I I just don't understand this. (laughs) Most of these have been captured on video. Right. And it goes viral, and then Delta just, they banned him. I remember one airline told me about a journalist who'd been very difficult and that she had been 99 which meant that she was not allowed to fly as a paying passenger or otherwise on that airline. The same way, you know, Naomi Campbell famously had her bout of air rage and, you know, it didn't throw a Blackberry at the flight center, but it had a big spat and British Airways promptly banned her from the plane. She remembered details of the incident later on, which tended to frame her air rage as a response to quite a racist remark, but it was always slightly strange that she had a sort of revelation of the context once it became clear that blame was being laid at her door. I don't know the truth because I wasn't there. 
I mean, apparently there's an actual charge. I was just looking at this because one of my adolescent heroes, Peter Buck, the guitarist for R.E.M., was famously involved in an incident of air rage on a British Airways plane. Like a quarter of the people involved in all these incidents, he was intoxicated at the time. Allegedly, allegedly. You know, they kicked him off the plane, arrested him, and then he was charged, and then he was cleared of air rage. But air rage apparently is a crime in and of itself, at least in Britain. The thing I don't understand about air rage, and this is what I would, another reason I'd encourage people to think about it is, I don't think if packs about the situation last night, but it doesn't get you anywhere. You don't win the armrest. You have a fight and you end up annoying everyone around you, ending up super, super irate. The way to deal with it, whenever I've had problems with a seatmate, you stand up and you discreetly go to the galley and you, you say to one of the flight attendants, could I have a word with you? I've got a little bit of a problem. Could, could we have a word in private? You talk to them. They will hand on to the head of the purse or whoever's running the plane. They will share that with them. And then they will be able discreetly to solve whatever is irking you. Because I remember being on a Lufthansa flight once watching two men getting more and more angry about a reclining seat. And eventually... <laughs> One man, and they were sort of young guys in their 20s, both with their wives and kids. One guy in his 20s started punching the back of the seat every time the man in front of him reclined. So they summoned the purser over, and she was, imagine the most stereotypical 60-something German lady you can imagine, complete with, you know, braids. You've got to be Catherine, you know. (laughs) (laughs) With braids around her head and sort of so no nonsense. And she just said, I am not sorting this out. You are not children. Do it yourself. This is ridiculous. And she walked away and they stopped because she had shamed them like the children they were. If one of them instead had gone to her and said, hey, I really want to recline my seat. Can you solve this? She would have done it. But I think that's an important point, right? Think about the people that can help you in this situation. They're going to be the crew. You're not going to win anything by arguing with the person next to you, especially when tensions are so high, like we talked about earlier, right? Go to the cabin crew and see what they can do for you. It's always, they always prefer a nice, respectful passenger than being drawn into a situation that's already contentious. But, you know, being in the air can make, it can make a, you know, make us all anger management patients, basically. Like, there's the knee defender. It's an actual gadget. We talked about (laughs) it like a year or two ago, that it's so passive aggressive. You buy it and you put it and it holds the seat in front of you in place and it's not very big, but like, people do that, you know? Is that legit? Like, is it not? Yeah, there's no rule against it. Is it not like your, I don't know how this works, but is it not your right to lean back in the approved times? I've, I've. Oh, we've debated this so many times. (laughs) I'm a big recliner. But I think it goes back to. Me too, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. If if the chairs recline, they recline. Exactly. But I don't think there's any right. The whole point is, why would you instead, if you're a recliner and someone doesn't like it, what I always have, whenever I'm eating, I would say to someone in front of me, oh, excuse me, do you mind just while I have my dinner, could you pull it yeah. forward just so I can eat my dinner? And that is a totally reasonable request. If you don't love that they're reclining the rest of the time, try and move. Because if there are empty seats on the plane, go to the cabin crew and say, I've got to open my laptop. Is there anywhere I can squeeze in that's got a bit more space? If you are the nice person and they can help you, they will. <laughs> yeah, I think the bottom line here is that airlines don't like people who are lewd or offensive or instigating things, right? And they have the right to remove or refuse any passenger that they think crosses 
those lines. I'm interested in this, the airlines themselves and all of this and airline practice and so forth, because we also did some reporting last year in which we found a study that suggested that the mere presence of the first class cabin, as well as the fact that people have to actually walk through it, intensifies people's sense of outrage and can contribute to this. Do you guys remember that? Yep. I'd love to see a sociology or behavioral professor look at this because to me, we sign a social contract when we live in a civilized world of being vaguely polite to the people we rub up against. When we go on a plane, that contract is tested because we are compressed into a little metal tin where we're tired, we're drinking. It's all of the niceties rub away. And it's really telling that the minute there are political tensions, where do you see them really bubble up over and above people hurling sort of trolley abuse on Twitter? You hear it on a plane. Where do you get this real sort of instant reaction and a very unfiltered one on a plane? Same thing. It's interesting that we always see, because we sort of follow patents from time to time, you know, on airline design, and we see many innovative, interesting sometimes hilariously funny ways of reorienting passenger seats. We saw one where they were actually stacked on top of each other like firewood. There was one that came out recently um, where there was a sort of modular design. You could move seats in and out. We've seen seats facing each other, which just seemed like the most horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a nightmare. I think that's Can what you called that, it. And it's, these are big airlines. It's Airbus, it's Boeing that are putting these patents through. Sometimes we feel like just for our amusement. Yeah. So we have something to write about. Yeah. Because when are you ever going to actually fly on a plane where people are stacked like firewood or forced to make eye contact for 10 hours straight? But like, then, they'll, then they'll start kicking each other. I mean, oh, it's hitting. Like, like, it, puts you, it puts you like right the way it is now. You're next to somebody. It's hard to actually punch them. If they put a face, you know, just like you can go right at it. Right. Well, but I, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You wrote that story about, like, there is a the biology of oh, it. Oh, yeah, the biology. And, I mean, going back to what you said, Brad, I think air rage incidents increased by 12% when people walk through the first-class cabin. So it goes back to, like, the psychology of the boarding process, right? If you board through the middle of the plane and I don't have to see in first class what I don't have, that subconsciously influences me and I'm bound to get angrier over my shared armrest with Mark. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is like one that I've never seen is one where you took all the first class seats yeah. and put them at the back, you know, because that, that I know there's complications. You know, for Brad, this is interesting. <laughs> when you look at the A380 configurations on a lot of planes, they have rejiggered where the premium seating is. Historically, on a 747, the bubble upstairs was the business, and you know you just felt fabulous going upstairs because you were in the VIP room in the sky. On the 380, often economy and first are upstairs, and business is kind of where everyone boards through. So first and economy are the little squirreled away things, and economy feels weirdly like a little secret place upstairs. So I wonder if there are fewer air rage incidents on an A380. Yeah, we haven't done any reporting on that. It's an interesting question. No, but I do think that as planes are cramming more people in and seat width is shrinking, that this is, I mean, it is spiking. We wrote a story about it last year about how numbers of air rage incidents being reported are actually going up, which is a funny sentence in itself, like mm -hmm. air rage incidents being reported, you know. And the thing that I keep coming back to, Catherine, um, you said that there's the part of your brain that's super primal, I think limbic, and it like... If you are in a high stress situation, then 
you're put in survival mode and yeah. you are basically reduced to claiming your territory, whatever that means, whether it's the overhead bin, whether it's your armrest, whether it's your 18 inches of seat or whatever we have these days. Um, and that's why we freak out in the sky. Yeah. It's fight or flight, fight and or you, flight, can't yeah. fl- you can't fly. <laughs> right. It's fight, fight, fight on flight. a flight. <laughs> <laughs> fight on flight. Or maybe that's but why I don't I... see people like walking and muttering to themselves up and down the aisle because there's nothing else to do other than get into a fight. There's no escaping that. No. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask everyone a question? Honestly, and you know, I think of the four of us, I'm probably the most sort of overtly aggressive, but honestly, have you ever had a spat on a plane? Ooh, good question. I just laughed when you said you were the most overtly aggressive. Cause yeah. I think I am, but then maybe what do we each think of ourselves? No, I've <laughs> never, I've never had a, never had a spat. I probably never will. I'm that person who, when somebody else just like hogs the armrest, I just kind of hunker down and accept discomfort for however long. That said, I'm about to go on a 14-hour flight to Japan, and you know, it'll be really interesting to see if that can extend beyond the six, six or eight hours that I've kind of maxed out at six, eight, nine hours that I've maxed out at up to this point. Of course, it'll be my son who's hogging the, the armrest. So (laughs) (laughs) come on, Laura, what about you? What about you or Catherine? Well, I think what happens is I feel empowered a little bit by my husband, their safety in numbers. And if either of us feels affronted, we are more likely to say something like, God, I'm going to sound like a brat. Um, you know, they'll tell you to check your bag at the gate. You get as far as the gate with your carry-on luggage, and it's a suitcase that's supposed to fit up top, and you know it does, and you showed them twice already that your suitcase fits in that stupid little metal thing that they make you size it with. And then you get to the gate, and they're like, nope, got to leave it. And it's like a three-hour flight, and you really don't want to wait at baggage when you get home. So... You're like, fine, 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 take my bag. And then you get on, you see all that open overhead space. And we're just like, nope. One time my husband went right back up to the flight attendant and said, there's an empty spot right there. I see my bag right there. I'm going to get it. And they were like, sir, you can't get off the plane. He's like, I see my bag. I see that spot. We're going to get it. And I I had to back him up. He's my (laughs) husband. Otherwise, it's weird. They're both getting kicked off. I'm not going home without him. (laughs) Like, I don't know that guy. Yeah. And eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? Because I have the aggressive wife who will definitely get in a fight with anybody. Oh, no. I I am. And and I'm always that. That's my reaction is like, I don't know who she is. I I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, Catherine, you you put Yeah, yeah, I got in a spat recently but it was the same thing it was about my bag and it was more about not being consistent with policy right the measuring of bags and the weighing of bags it was just an arbitrary choice of mine i love how you described that it sounded like such a philosophical thing it was it was in copenhagen (laughs) it was a lovely trip and then it was not so lovely when i got in an argument but on an airline i feel like I don't know. I'm the person who tends to claim space rather than sort of nudge for it because <laughs> I'm I'm tall. We'll call for, you tall. I'm yeah. tall. And yeah, I mean, I'm the same as you. I, I do recline, but I don't just go crazy with it. You know, I do it not during meal service. And I feel like I'm a, a reasonable person in the sky. I haven't really gotten any in any fights in the air. But the baggage thing. That what, about tense, think, what about see, tense what moments? Lots of, you know, about, jostling like, for the armrest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. See, what, yeah. what I think is interesting, Catherine, is both you and Laura, there are two kinds of air rage that we've talked about. And we haven't split them up, and they're actually quite telling. There is 
passenger on passenger violence, you know, or passenger on passenger rage. And then there is passenger crew rage. And yeah. they are different things. Yes. One of them is about sort of powerlessness and unfairness. And one of them is about sort of personality clashes and drinking too much. But they aren't the same thing. One of them is much more like irresolvable. It's just two kids squabbling. And one of them is you're never going to win because the cabin crew are in charge. So don't do it. Yeah, I, I don't ever argue with the cabin crew. I, if anything, butter them up because I know that it's sort of a, a thankless job in many ways. And that's how you get not special treatment, but oh. I don't know, people are nice to I you. Mean, I Be will nice say, to I people. Never- I've never had air rage, but this will make this will remind you what a terrible person I am. But every time I have problems with a fellow passenger, I just dob them into the cabin group. I mean, I scurry to the. You're deck, a tattletale. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm a total tattletale. I'm like, this woman is insane. Can you do something about it? They're like, and gee, they're like, he goes uh-huh. to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like that woman and then the yeah. other guy, the other side of me. And eventually my row is cleared. It's amazing. <laughs> but but I do. No, no. But I'm, but I'm a great fan of that because I do think the point is, if you go and say, can you provide me with a solution? It's sort of the perfect way to not get stressed out yourself and not cause an incident. And it is quite satisfying to pull the strings behind the scenes. But again, I am a terrible person. But then you're seeking power in a powerless situation. So aren't you really just playing into... They, I don't know, whatever you were just talking about. And I'm getting power. I'm managing to get <laughs> but power. It also feels like they, situation. you know, they're resolving a situation. It makes them feel good, too. It's a win-win. Exactly. And also, you you, you did know. make a good point earlier. I don't know if we brought it up yet about how attitudes in the sky are a good litmus test for what's happening on the ground, too. And it's you just think about it, and we're all just crammed, like you said, into this little aluminum or titanium can in the sky now, and people aren't going to get along. So should we just accept that and put on our headphones and hunker down or should we put up a fight? But you also see the opposite, right? I mean, it's not always that people don't get along. That certainly happens. But you also see people lifting up bags for other people. You see people making extra space, moving out of the aisles, trying to just trying to take a little bit of extra effort. And I do think it's interesting to ask the question of whether or not it correlates to some of these other external factors like the political situation or like where they boarded the plane. I do think those things are really interesting. And I'd love to do some more investigation into um, some of those correlations because that could because that's the kind of thing you can actually act on. Right. Like if plane design has that kind of impact and we could uncover it then we can change plane design. It takes decades, but... Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, and you know, Brad, I think you make a good point. I mean, I hate to be gendered about this, but when I think of almost every uh, air rage incident I can remember, other than the two Brits screaming at each other, they were lawyers, where there was one woman involved, it does almost always seem to be a story about a man or two men who have drunk a bit too much. And every incident of air rage I've witnessed has always been... A man. I hate to be gendered like that, but I've not seen a woman start screaming at someone else. It does happen, but it. it I wonder how much of that is, as well. How you I know f- whether it's. I feel know. like in our own coverage of this, we did uh, maybe there was there were two stories or three stories of dudes kind of losing it and getting banned or otherwise censored, 
and then there was one story of a woman who who got censored who right? harassed a Trump supporter yeah on Alaska Airways <laughs> right. Alaska flight and got kicked off right right, right. so yeah. it does happen but to your point Mark it's the 25 percent case or the 30 percent mm-hmm. case but I think it's also interesting to look at the ways we can sort based of based on that highly scientific <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> the ways we can sort of reduce those factors that we can see affect air rage, right? And we talked about UK air rage and the aviation minister for the UK has considered making UK airports sort of alcohol free. So that's a really ambitious proposal. But given what you said, Brad, earlier about a quarter of air rage incidents are not induced by alcohol, but certainly affected by them or people have been drinking. Well, yeah, they it, yeah. it was estimated as being involved. Right, in exactly. But I mean, you take away the booze and why are you getting on a plane anymore? I mean, <laughs> well, I, but I wonder, this is this is where I wonder. Says the pregnant lady. Yeah. Right, yes. <laughs> I, I, I mean, true. I wonder about two things there. One is, again, like if you could do a retrospective analysis of back in the era of the 747s, where, or there are Etihad planes and uh, some other sort of high-end planes now where you've got an actual bar. So yeah. does it make a difference? Does, is there less alcohol-induced you know, rage or, or, or chaos if people are actually able to get up out of their seats when they're having a drink, maybe go and socialize a little bit, and you sort of take them back to a more normalized context where you know, drinking socially in a bar is kind of a normal thing mm-hmm. lots of people do on a regular basis. And so it's less confining. You feel less cramped. And so maybe it produces less of that. And it, you know, Is there a lot we can do about that? We can't make every plane into a 747 or an A380, but, you know, I, and I also wondered, the other thing I wonder is we've made advances with the A380 and the 787, the Dreamliners, in terms of affecting people's moods by the technology of the plane. So the lighting, the mm-hmm. material design, the pressurization, actually we've seen can have a material effect on people's moods. And so I'm wondering if there are, again, technological advances that could help contribute to a, a lessening of this. I think um, changing the in-flight entertainment options, too, would... <laughs> That's a big deal, right? Make, I mean, make them not it. suck. Yeah, or why, you know, a lot of Bambi. airlines are taking away. It's only away. Bambi. You can watch <laughs> Bambi or Benji. But have any airlines, I'm curious, I don't know this, and again, maybe some listeners can tell this, have any airlines brought in Headspace or other meditation apps as part of their in-flight entertainment so that if people are kind of want to zone out on a 14-hour flight, instead of drinking themselves senseless, they're like, you know what, see if you can sort of meditate for 30 minutes. And it may sound super touchy-feely, and as someone who would struggle to even do yoga because I make a shopping list on my head when I'm down with dogging, I'm not the target market, but I wonder if that would help kind of neutralize some of this tension. I know Delta added an in-flight meditation offering in, I think, June of 2016. But it is interesting to see how airlines will work on this going forward, because obviously they don't like these incidents. But I think, you know, you take away, you take away TVs in the seat back, you take away drinks at airports or limit them on planes. I mean... And you're putting people in increasingly tight confines, you know. I'm not joking when I say who's going to fly. Like, it is creating a bus-like scenario in the sky. So I think if airlines do want to do something, I do think seat configuration is a really important thing. But I think people do have to be treated like humans and given, mm-hmm. you know, if you're paying... But, like, a, why, a did you ask, why did you ask that question? Were you thinking that the in-flight entertainment options tend toward, like, violence and, and no, you no, know, I, I think aggro people, stuff? People drink when they're bored or when they're stressed. They want to have a good time in the sky, right? So it's a long flight. Say you're going to Australia and it's like an 
18 to 20 hour flight. You have to kill some time. Yeah. And if you can't fall asleep, there's only a set number of things you can do to kill time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't have a TV in front of you, you know, right. you, no, you I, better have brought a box of books and or Kindles or, you know, like, I don't know. It, I just feel like it's treating passengers without a whole lot of respect. I also think, I mean, let's remember, as basic economy takes hold, (laughs) where instead of budget airlines, where everyone has restrictions on their overheads, when with United and Americans offerings, your basic economy ticket doesn't even include an overhead bag. Let's remember, there'll be lots more air rage incidents as the poor flight attendants have to go. I know you brought a bag. I know everyone else has one. You're not allowed. I mean, that to me is just if air rage was a smoothie that would be the perfect thing to put in a blender to make one I totally it'll be interesting agree. to watch and see that uh, yeah <laughs> well because it's already at an all-time high we're going into a year in which exactly. a lot of those new configurations are taking effect yeah. yeah i remember they had that policy a long time ago on i always talk about whiz air my favorite eastern european airline <laughs> And Sorry, they, it's a low, <laughs> no, no, it's really. all of our favorite. That Eastern is European what it's called. Euro. And they, the flight attendants would walk down the aisle and take bags that did not have the tag on them. Was the take aisle them down, a yellow or, brick road? <laughs> 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 no, but take them out of the overhead compartment and say, you didn't pay for this. Sorry, this has got to go off the plane or you have to pay for it. But that requires a personality. I think, you know, for example, the cliche of Eastern European personality is a little more (laughs) formal and obedient, whereas an American personality is more ebullient and talkback-ish. So when someone pulls your bag out, you're less likely to go, oh, okay, and you're more likely to go, no, leave it there. Especially if there's space. I can see that happening where even though I didn't pay for it, hey, there's space. What's the problem? We're big on rights too, right? Americans, we tend to go right to the rights holster. You know, like we, we got a right to that. That's my right. I got a right to this. I yeah. got a right to that. Fact is you don't, but that still is. Well, I mean, we've covered that, right? Like you don't have a right to it on a plane. So good luck <laughs> so, <laughs> next so, time you so next time you <laughs> next time you reach for the rights holster, don't be surprised if it's empty. <laughs> Talk to the crew. Talk to the crew. Be nice. Be nice. Be ni- and I don't mean, tell people you're a lawyer. Don't go, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. It's not relevant. The best part about that video was the person recording who said, apparently everybody's a lawyer today. <laughs> On some planes, that's oh, yeah. probably true. <laughs> if the takeaway is anything, it's remember that you are being recorded. That's also true. And I would just like to give a shout out to Jaina and say that the real answer to all of this is chocolate. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, be nice. Is well, certainly no rule. I don't think you can... I don't think you can bring chocolate without being nice. True, Chocolate is nice. And what was Jaina's, remind anyone who doesn't remember Jaina's rule, Brad, what was Jaina's rule, our former colleague? Be nice and bring chocolate. Give it to the flight attendants. When you get on the plane, give the flight attendants a box of chocolate. Give the parents around you, or no, she, she had the parent parental, if you're a parent, give everybody around you a box of chocolate or some hand-knit thing that was very Jaina-like that I'm never going to do. But it was, the point was, extend generosity you know be the person who and paul brady i love paul brady's rule about this too um don't lean back if the flight is under four hours because you know again you're just sort of being a good citizen like you don't really Catherine, i'm with you lean back whenever you want we We talked about yeah it's up to the airlines anyway Uh, okay okay. Uh. okay okay 
Subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. And don't forget to visit us on cntraveler.com for all your air rage entertainment needs. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook, YouTube, and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. And please do tweet at us. Send us feedback. Review us on iTunes. There have been some really excellent reviews on iTunes recently, including I'm particularly fond of the ones that have critiqued our use of like. We say like way too many times, and I think that's mostly me. So <laughs> we actually do read them, proof that we do read them, and we do uh, take them to heart. I feel like we had 30% fewer likes in this episode, so that's progress we're just channeling the rage aren't we we're just trying to be less likely and more angry mark where can the folk reach you they can find me on twitter at mark j elwood with a k and two l's Catherine, i'm on twitter at kj lagrave l-a-g-r-a-v-e laura i'm angry traveler at instagram <laughs> twitter no. laura underscore redman on instagram and danon825 on twitter and i am at bradrick have a great weekend everybody and be nice 